Hello, and welcome to The Harry Glorikian Show, where we dive into the tech-driven future of healthcare. This week on the show, my guest is Joseph DeVivo. He is the CEO of a company called Butterfly Network, and their goal is to make it radically easier for doctors or medical technicians to perform an ultrasound exam and radically cheaper for a patient to get one. Butterfly makes an FDA-cleared, handheld ultrasound scanner called the Butterfly IQ. The first big thing that's different about the IQ is that it uses silicon-based microelectromechanical sensors instead of a traditional piezoelectric crystal element to generate and receive the ultrasound waves. That means the device is fully digital rather than analog. In that sense, the IQ is to a traditional ultrasound machine as a digital camera is to an old-fashioned film camera. And the second big thing that's different is that the IQ transmits the ultrasound data to a standard iPhone or iPad instead of a big, expensive ultrasound cart. The doctor or technician can see the live ultrasound image right on a handheld device and use the image to train the sensor correctly to get the best possible picture to make a diagnosis. All of that is bringing down the cost of equipping a clinic with ultrasound technology dramatically. And over time, it should also bring down the cost of administering an ultrasound exam. It also opens up the possibility of adding AI assistance to the software so that doctors or technicians can get usable images with less training. The net result is that Butterfly is making it economically feasible to use ultrasound for diagnostic imaging in a lot more places. That includes clinics in developing countries where ultrasound was out of reach before due to the high cost of the technology and a shortage of trained ultrasonographers. Last year, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation provided a $5 million grant that allowed Butterfly to send 500 IQ devices to clinics in Kenya to provide point-of-care ultrasound exams to 224 facilities. It's another example of how electronics, computing, AI, and data are transforming access to healthcare, which is, after all, the whole theme of this show. So I really wanted to invite Joe to come on and talk about it. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Harry. It's a pleasure to be here. So glad to have you on the show. I mean, as we were just talking about it, I was like, I talk about all these handheld ultrasounds when I'm, you know, giving my talk and how AI is going to sort of, you know, bring the level up. And I thought, you know, but I, I you know, it'd be great to have, <laughs> great to have you guys on the show and actually talk about the technology live so that everybody, um, you know, can really understand, uh, what these technologies are, how they're being used, where they're being used, and why they're so critical. But I guess um, before we jump into that, because there may be a lot of listeners who don't even, not even familiar with ultrasounds, except for you know with with your with your pregnant spouse. But I know that these technologies can be used way beyond um, what I just described that that most people may be familiar with. So. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, why someone would use an UltraScan, um, what parts of the body they might scan, and what sort of problems people are looking for when they're, when they're utilizing this technology? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and again, Harry, thank you so much for having me. Uh, ultrasound is used in the hospital for many different clinical use cases. Uh, it's used in, in cardiology to the ejection fraction of the heart. Um, it's used, uh, as you had said, in labor and delivery to identify the health, uh, the sex and, uh, of, of a child. Uh, it's used in the abdomen, to, 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 you can, in the chest to see the lungs or to identify bowel obstructions, appendicitis, uh, or in peripheral vascular for DVT. And there's all different types of carts uh, and all different types of machines that sit in a hospital. And if you have an appointment, uh, you can go in the hospital and you can um, be diagnosed by any one of these specialists. And so 
you know, ultrasound is a safe technology. It doesn't have um, it doesn't have any radiation or any artifact that that lives beyond uh, in the body, and so you're not really limited to the number of ultrasounds. But of course, with with uh, you, you want to limit anything that's not necessary. So um, I think that's that. Yeah, that that's about it. I mean, all these people are trained. I mean, when I go in, you know. Uh, an appointment is made, I go in, they take this cold gel <laughs> and, <laughs> and they rub it on you, right? And they, they, they're, they're sort of moving the, the probe around. Um, why, why is it so tricky? I mean, I'm thinking of the fact that they really need to understand how to get the, a precise image, right? And, and of course, depending on what they're trying to image, they might have to understand the the organ or what they're trying to do and then be able to see if they're pulling the right image from this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so ultrasonographers are, are incredibly well-trained uh, technicians who understand how to operate the device, uh, who understand anatomy, understand how to identify the anatomy, where to place the probe in order to get an image from the, the anatomy. And then uh, pretty incredibly, uh, after they see the image, they're a also skilled enough to to make to a certain extent a diagnosis. Now, obviously, if they acquire that image, they they also give it to a subspecialist who's caring for that patient, and, all, and then makes the the ultimate clinical diagnosis. But you know, it, it's it's really challenging. And so, over the last ten years, interestingly, uh, ultrasound makers in the market have created what's called a handheld ultrasound, and those handheld ultrasounds now are no longer tethered to those radiology departments where those ultrasound machines are. And it allows for clinicians to have them to be mobile uh, and to be able to use them much earlier uh, in their clinical diagnosis, you know, at a time, you know, when something may present itself. And so instead of scheduling a scan, uh, if something is more emergent, uh, someone with a handheld can actually start doing the image themselves. Uh, And so the, the first the first, you know, the thesis of handheld ultrasound is what's called point of care. And the market is actually called, you know, point of care ultrasound, or the abbreviation would be POCUS. And for, for POCUS or point of care, you're empowering doctors to have these handheld ultrasounds to be able to take an image right when they're engaging the patient, not, hey, your abdomen feels a little hard. Let me go send you in for you know, an MR or whatnot, and you wait whatever time and you go into a very high cost setting. Um, uh, hand, handheld ultrasound is designed specifically to give clinicians the ability to make a diagnosis, uh, you know, right at the point of care. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're making me think of things like workflow and, you know, are they receptive to this and stuff like that. But I, I'll, I'll try to get to that a little bit later. I mean, right now I want to sort of get people to understand, like, what is the butterfly IQ? What does it look like, and and how does it work in the simplest terms? So it, it is a, a standard. Uh, it looks like a standard ultrasound probe. It is a handheld, a long device with a cord coming out the back that allows uh, for an image to be extracted in a, in a very simple way. I can actually go run uh, down the hall and grab one and show you <laughs> if you want. We can pause this and I'll go get it. Um, but it's basically a handheld probe that looks like an ultrasound probe. And, and it has all the technology inside to be able to acquire an image. What, what Butterfly does differently than other ha- handheld probes is uh, all the other handheld probes on the market are analog. Uh, they have a fixed type of energy frequency batter, uh, battery uh, crystals, and they take a, a pre-programmed uh, image. Uh, Butterfly is the first um, uh, on the market to actually use a semiconductor chip with a MEMS wafer technology. And the chip kind of directs energy to the wafer, the wafer vibrates, or the, the MEMS vibrates its sensors and sends the energy out. And, and it is completely programmable and controlled. And so, first of all, a butterfly is very durable. Um, we can, it's been uh, drop tested uh, from four feet. And, and so it's something that can travel with you. It's not fragile. Uh, and it's it's very robust. And that second of all, because it has the semiconductor chip technology, you can use one probe for every part of the body. You just uh, you plug it into your iPhone, an app opens up. You scan through the app. You identify uh, which organ. It sets a preset, and then you and then you go. Uh, and it's connected to the cloud and has all kinds of software 
uh, that makes it easy to capture the image. So were there any like challenges, I mean, in the, in building this or, you know, what kind of, was there any technical hurdles you had to overcome? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, the, the marrying of the MEMS technology with the semiconductor, uh, is, this is the only chip in the world that has been able to create, uh, uh, has been able, able to marry the two together uh, and uh, produce this type of energy at scale. So everything is about chip optimization, which is energy, heat, uh, and and the ability to drive as, as much energy for imaging as possible. And, and you know, it, very much you, you can you can look at Butterfly to all the other companies like a, a digital camera and everyone is a film camera. And so in the very beginning, you know, it's all about processor speed and it's all about how many pixels you can acquire with that initial image. And so your first image is a one megapixel image, you know, and then as your technology gets better, it's a three megapixel image. And and people start saying, oh, well, you know, your image isn't as good as film. Uh, yeah, okay, but we're also, you know, that's, we're also doing it in a, in a, in a very cost-effective and also very high-tech way. And then all of a sudden you come out with a, with a five-megapixel chip, and then you come out with a seven-megapixel chip, and now your imaging is better than film, and you have all the other benefits of miniaturization, of low energy, et cetera, et cetera. So, so much of our development is all about microprocessors and all about semiconductors. And we are launching our newest chip next year. And for us, uh, you know, we have Moore's law on our side. So every 18 months, compute power doubles. Um, you know, there's a fixed limitation to a piezo crystal. It's unlimited with chip technology that we've seen over the last 30 years manifest. So it's no different for us. And we're gonna continue to push the boundaries of the technology. Well, and for those of you that are old enough to remember Kodak, um, and for those of you that are <laughs> that are young and don't rem don't know anything about Kodak, go look it up on Wikipedia. But um, and what happened to them? But uh, so now the the company's founder is is you know Jonathan Rothberg, right? I mean, he's yep. God, I've been hearing his name. I feel like forever, but you know, genomic sequencing, uh, proteomics, imaging, AI. What's the backstory on on Butterfly? I mean, I think you guys started, if I remember correctly, 2011-ish. How did Jonathan, like, come up with this idea? Although I have a feeling like there's more ideas in his head <laughs> than can be realized most of the time. Well, I, I've been here four months, and so I'm not the historian that, that I should be, but, but he, he tells a story about uh, a time in a lecture uh, where he had this idea at MIT and then um, was able to bring it to life by studying the interaction between the semiconductor and the and a, and a MEMS chip and the ability to create the vibrations and the ability to, to modulate the energy. And so uh, he's created many companies uh, based upon you know similar types of technology and I think uh, has done an amazing job in in taking technology into a way where it can democratize uh, healthcare. Jonathan's a beautiful man. He is a very caring man, and he cares more about helping people through his technology than anything. And he, uh, even after all of his success, uh, when I'm with him, he has his lab that he is constantly in, you know, seeing where technology uh, can push the boundaries. But I think time will tell uh, that his impact to healthcare and humanity will, will be massive. Yeah, it's always good to get up every morning and have purpose. So, um... yes. Now, okay, so you said it's connected to, let's say, an iPhone, or I'm assuming an iPad, right? In And Correct. it's displaying in real time. Like, I, 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 I can think of all of this, but, I, you know, what are the advantages of using the iPhone this way, like as a display? I mean, is... Is any of the processing or, say, interpretation happening on the phone? And how does all that contrast with sort of traditional ultrasound systems? Well, well we, we are seeing, um, so the ability to, to project an image into a, a device like a phone or a tablet uh, is something many other, uh, some other handhelds do that we do as well. What we do that's unique is is we is first of all you would go to the app store and you would download the butterfly app you'd have the app now on your phone 
or for that matter, Android users can go to Google Play and, and, and do the same thing. And then you open your app and now your app is ready uh, for you to plug your butterfly into. When you plug your butterfly into, it recognizes it. You you put in your credentials so it knows who you are. But then it's 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 using the the energy creation inside of the handheld. It's using the compute power of the phone to present the clearest image. And then it's also connecting into a cloud where there is algorithms in the cloud that are uh, directing and communicating to the phone. Uh, and then uh, the entire ecosystem is is creating a level of intelligence that just makes it so easy for the user. All the so again, it's like driving. It's like driving a Tesla. You know, you have your you have your your hardware, but then you have your software that's controlling everything, and then you have your connectivity into the cloud to make sure that everything is up to date, everything is new, uh, that learning is going on, uh, and, and the algorithms are just simply making it as easy as possible for that end user to just focus on the image acquisition. It's it's very Apple-esque where it's just incredibly simple. Uh, you open the app, you plug it in, you choose the organ, you go. And you'll get wonderful images. And if you want to have different presets, it has all the capabilities for you to tune it to your liking, um, but it has all the automated presets. So you just go and, and you don't have to be uh, you know, too, too confused by it. Yeah, I got to imagine though, like, with all the AI that uh, Apple is start, you know, has on its chip in the phone, I'm I'm assuming at some point you guys are going to want to take advantage of that edge computing capability. Sure. Yeah. No. We we use every resource that that is made available to us, uh, whether it's it's in the cloud or whether it's in the compute power of the phone. And uh, so that it's not just the 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 tablet being used to present the image, but but the app has certain level of capabilities that the phone is allowing it to have because of the compute power of the device. And we rely on that. And even as we're developing new AI, you know, we can push uh, after regulatory approval, new AI algorithms actually into the phone and into the app and update the app. Uh, and so then you are continuing to have that those new capabilities instead of having to have an analog device where you have to now go upload software or you know this is a dynamic it, it's again very apple-esque where uh you can push new updates you can push new algorithms you can create greater capabilities all networked into into a single uh very powerful cloud so i keep uh, i always think of technology as a deflationary force, right? Because we get, we build more powerful systems, they become less expensive, it makes them more accessible, they do more things. How does how does the pricing of your system, say, compare with a traditional ultrasound? I mean, um, I'm, I'm assuming this really, you know, changes the world of, of the developing world uh, and technology being available, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? That you're exactly correct. So handheld ultrasounds are around, you know, uh, ten thousand dollars in ultrasound. You know, some get as low as maybe fifty five hundred, but then that's one probe for one use. And then when you have to get the three probes for the whole body plus everything in it, you know, it's ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Um, butterfly sells for twenty six ninety nine, uh, and so we have dramatically taken the cost down. And then we have an, uh, a, a just about a five hundred dollar annual subscription uh, that allows for the cloud the power of the cloud and the software, you know, to to be connected to it. So you know, the we have dramatically reduced uh, the overall cost, and that has what has has led to you know tens of thousands of clinicians even just buying it out of their own pocket because if through covid uh, we know we had a respiratory disease and 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 the and our device is the best device for pulmonary uh, imaging and because we can modulate images dynamically that you need for uh, for the lung and then also our AI to be able to assess those a lines and B lines um, or specifically B lines so, Yes, uh, you know the the and as you mentioned earlier, the on one side we we're democratizing the access uh, to ultrasound for for healthcare uh, providers, and we've caught the attention of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, and they recently gave a grant 
to bring um, a thousand ultrasound probes uh, to Kenya. And so we have a two-phased uh, approach, and we already completed the first phase where um, 500 midwives were trained over a two-week period on how to uh, understand fetal positioning, fetal distress, um, gestational age through um, uh, a bunch of different algorithms. And we taught all of these midwives how to do ultrasound. And interestingly, we just recently saw a, a one-month uh, survey data that 377 of the 500 are using it 82% of the time. 80% uh, of the time, that, or 80% of them responded that they've identified a, a high-risk uh, issue that was resolved. Um, and we're changing the lives and the care of people who don't have access to 10, 15, or 50, or $100,000 ultrasound carts uh, in the hospital. And so um, the desire is to democratize healthcare. The desire is to replace the stethoscope with a device that's cost-effective and can be used dynamically everywhere in the body. And with wonderful charities like Bill and Melinda Gates, and we have a new one that, that, um, that we're working with that will be announced shortly uh, to do a very large deployment in a, in a country of need, uh, that um, making this accessible, making it easy is just simply good for healthcare and good for mankind. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I'm trying to think. I, I'm, I'm almost imagining that you could use this if you use this in place of a stethoscope, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, you know, uh, electronic stethoscopes that are available now and how you would build these two things into one unit. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about different ideas like that. There but you go. Let, let, let's jump into things like, you know, how does the AI you're using, you know, move the needle or play a role in, in, in what you're doing. I mean, I know that it does, uh, image acquisition. It helps with, uh, image interpretation. Um, it, what else does it do and, 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 and how and why does it help automate, you know, what's going on here? Right. So, um, you know, when you go get an MRI, uh, you go into an MRI suite, there's a technician, they put you on the table, technician leaves, presses a button, and then a standard protocol of image acquisition occurs. And those images are just a bunch of slices that go through the body. And the same thing that happens for CT. Um, but when you get to ultrasound, it's just so hard, right? So here we are now, you know, for $2,600, $2,700, making an ultrasound available to everyone uh, and making it easy. But it's not easy to acquire the image. I mean, you, you know, I mean, we've, you know, as a, as a father, I've had five children, five births. I've gone in and seen the ultrasound. And, and before that ultrasonographer actually gets to, you know, finding the child, I don't know what he or she's looking at. I mean, it is just so, it is just, you know, you just get carsick looking at it. And that's the challenge with ultrasound is where do you put the probe? And then, then how do you find exactly what you're looking for? And I always assimilate it to, you know, having a flashlight in a really dark cave, you know, you have to kind of know in directionally what you're looking for. And then, and then you have to find it. And then when you find it, you have to have the intelligence to know what it is that you found and what it means and, 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 and where it's at. So it's incredibly complicated. So the AI is designed to make it easier. So there, there's one aspect of AI uh, that's on the image acquisition side. So it's, okay, um, you're putting it, you're putting it someplace, but it's telling you to move the probe because as it sees the image, it kind of knows where you are in the body. It's, it's trained to look, even that gobbled image that is not recognizable, the AI, because it's trained on so much data in our cloud, uh, is able to identify what that particular anatomy is and then tell you how to move the probe uh, in order to get a better and better and better image until you your spotlight is now you know dead on it. And so one part of one part of AI is simply making it easier to contort uh, the probe to be able to extract the right image. Another part of AI is to kind of identify structures, is to say, is to tell people actually what they're looking at. And we actually have some AI right now that's we're waiting uh, for our conversation with FDA 
but you literally can place the probe anywhere, you know, on the body or anywhere in the, in the chest and abdomen. And the, based upon what, what the algorithm sees, it actually tells you, this is the kidney, this is the lung, this is the liver, right? So, and then, it, and cause it can actually label the anatomy and, and we're, and it, for us, it would be a, an incredible education tool to allow new users to simply without fear, put the probe on the body and start exploring. And then it'll start telling you just like a GPS map or a map. Okay. This is, you know, this is this, this is that. And it, it identifies certain pieces of the anatomy. And, and you know, the, the, the key component, you know, the first key component to democratizing ultrasound is, is making the probe uh, easy and cost-effective. The next set is to make the acquisition easy and automated. And then of course, the third set, is to make the interpretation something that's easy and automated. And, and so the AI tools that we have are all trained on our data and allow us to be able to acquire and help those people acquire those images. Uh, we have a new probe coming out that is very much like, um, it's kind of like a Dr. Spock type probe. Remember when he would grab that thing and put it toward the body and it would just scan through the body and said, oh, you know, you have this diagnosis. Well. It's not that not that sophisticated uh, uh, or um, sophisticated yet, but kind of. So um, our our chip transducer is like an LCD screen, and we have all these different MEMS uh, uh, MEMS devices sitting on top of the chip, and we can direct all those devices to work in concert to deliver energy. And so normally, if you put a device on an abdomen, you you get a fan, you get a single line fan, and anywhere you turn that probe is kind of the fan of the image that you have. But now we can place the probe on top of the chest of the abdomen and it can it can automatically take images at different angles. And so in, a, in essence, it's creating that fan-like approach or creating a series of images. So instead of having to hunt and peck for something, you can just simply place it over the kidney, press the button, take all the images of a kidney, very similar to how an MRI would take it. You're taking all these slices or how a CT is taking all these slices. And then now you, you can, instead of while you're trying to find something, you now have a file and you have a file of 30 or 40 images and you just choose which image, just like they do in an MR. Like you see the tumor get bigger and then smaller as they're going through the slices. Well, you now can do the same thing with ultrasound and that can only be done with butterfly. And so the next probe that we have come out has this auto scan feature that will allow for a less skilled healthcare professional to be able to acquire an image uh, in, a, in a very easy manner and then be able to send the image because Butterfly has something called teleguidance, which is very telemedicine-like that will allow you to send images and collaborate through a, a, a virtual medium like what we're, what we're uh, on right now. So the the image or the future for what we're doing is very bright because we've 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 attacked the cost issue and now we're dealing with education with butterfly academy and certification and ai tools that make that image acquisition uh, easier and easier uh, to acquire yeah and you, you know it's funny because whenever you're talking about this i'm like god i want one of these at home right people are like you're <laughs> you're nuts i'm like no but i mean this is going to be you know, I think at some point, some of these technologies are just going to be available to patients and, you know, depending on their condition. And they're just, I, I just can't see how the cost isn't going to continually come down and just it's going to be cheaper and easier to either have it in near the patient or the clinic down the street will have it and you don't have to go into the ivory tower. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's right. I think you're dead on. And that and that's where that is actually what's happening. You know, we uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier, but we um, I've been here four months um, and I've I've been in, in digital for a while and, and healthcare and devices for a while. And what fascinated me um, by Butterfly is this chip and the capabilities of the chip. And I kind of feel like the first phase of Butterfly has been Butterfly taking its unique technology and putting it in kind of an old form factor. And that old form factor is this handheld ultrasound. And I kind of assimilate it to uh, strapping a combustion engine on the back of a horse. So we have this engine and the engine can move the legs of the horse faster and that's really great. So now we have a faster horse, but it's, 
you know, it's a bumpy ride. I'm out in, in the weather uh, and I can only have one person on the horse. We didn't create a vehicle. I think Butterfly can create an entirely new market with benefits that are well beyond the analog handhelds. And so uh, the chip doesn't need that big a form factor. It doesn't need this big handheld probe. We just have it because that's what the market, that's what the current market has. But imagine having now a device that's you know the size of my AirPod case or just the size of a computer mouse, uh, and 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 imagine that is now given to a, a chronic care patient who's been discharged, say a cardiac patient. And if you look, eighty-two percent of hospitals through the United States last year um, were penalized due to readmission rates, and so and the biggest culprit are cardiac readmissions. Uh, and and the the thing that you monitor for congestive heart failure uh, readmission rates is the amount of fluid in the lungs. And one of the best modalities to test fluid in the lungs is actually using ultrasound and using an AI counter that we have called our, it's it's a beeline counter. So now imagine you send a patient home and you put a little temporary tattoo on them and you say every day, place this device and put this on top of that temporary tattoo, but put it there and press a button. You know, the patient is not looking at that seasick image that's trying to, you know, they're just simply placing it here and it's scanning the body and sending an image to a caregiver. It's very similar to other remote patient monitoring technology that you know very well that allow patients to, to take things to the home and then things stream into a centralized area. And if data presents itself outside of preset bands, it alarms and a caregiver then then intervenes. And managing fluids in the in, in the chest uh, and in the lungs is something you do with a diuretic. And, and so you, you can you can remotely, you know, help that patient manage the fluid. But if they're not managed and the fluid becomes to excess, then they're readmitted. So I, I see now the ability to truly democratize uh, ultrasound by placing these wearables uh, on or placing a device and having a patient be able to acquire an image in, in an incredibly easy way. Now, I, this will probably take, you know, although we're launching it next year, it's probably take time. We're launching the algorithm next year in our standard probe and a year later we'll have something like this, but that's where uh, butterfly ch- changes the game. And that's where uh, ultrasound uh, and the market will be changed forever. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always tell people the biggest problem in moving things in healthcare is, well, the people. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not easy to move, right, because they have their workflows and they don't want to change their workflows. The EMR, right, trying to get information in and out of there, right, and so that somebody has to deal with insurance, right? So those three things make the system just, oh, my God, sclerotic and and impossible to sort of move forward because everybody's got their entrenched area that they're trying to defend or or figure out how they're going to make money which is why it doesn't move as quickly as everybody would like let's pause the conversation for a minute to talk about one small but important thing you can do to help keep the podcast going and that's leave a rating and review for the show on apple podcasts All you have to do is open Apple Podcast app on your smartphone, search for The Harry Glorickian Show, and scroll down to the ratings and review section. Tap the stars to rate the show, and then tap the link that says write a review to leave your comments. It'll only take 30 seconds, but you'll be doing a lot to help other listeners discover the show. And one more thing. If you like the interviews we do here on the show, I know you'll like my new book, The Future You, how artificial intelligence can help you get healthier, stress less, and live longer. It's a friendly and accessible tour of all the ways today's information technologies are helping us diagnose disease faster, treat them more precisely, and create personalized diet and exercise programs to prevent them in the first place. The book is now available in print and ebook formats. Just go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and search for The Future You by Harry Glorickian. And now, back to the show. If I wanted to be a sonographer right now, I mean, it would take some level of training. And I know that there's a a shortage of these people. And I think that's one of the reasons why ultrasound may not be, you know, more widely available because there's nobody actually to, to do the scan. But, and I think about your system, like, 
how much training um, do you need to use a butterfly? How 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 much do I need to interpret the image? Um, is it any less than a traditional? And if so, why? I think the key. Uh, it's first of all the the images are are similar to the in hospital images, and and so the image acquisition uh, still uh, it requires training. There's aside from the AI algorithms that we've talked about previously, the standard ultrasound is the same as the standard ultrasound. Uh, the difference the difference is the focus. Uh, if you try to uh, become a master at every organ around the body, it's going to take a really long time. But if you just say, uh, I want to build pulmonary ultrasound into my practice and even start, you know, just reduce the amount of chest x-rays I'm sending for, um, there are ways where you can very quickly get acclimated to probe placement and the and where the initial image is. And there's training that within, you know, uh, several days to several weeks worth of training um, you can get up to speed. And actually, Butterfly has a proficiency software that helps institutions manage the level of proficiency of each of their clinicians. Because as they are taking scans, those scans are uploaded into a module where a reviewer can look at those scans. And then the reviewer can, can evaluate the quality of the scan and the diagnosis, and then ultimately move that person up a learning curve because there is a very big learning curve uh and butterfly as an individual probe acquiring an individual image is the same as any ultrasound device it's it's an image that you have to deal with it's like driving a car that you know it's very standard um but the ability to now acquire that image use ai tools and then use education and proficiency tools uh, we've made that a part of the offering that we have because we know uh, we, we look at usage data uh, because everything is connected to the cloud. We can see, hey, there's a bunch of, you know, these types of people who aren't comfortable yet that they're not scanning as much. And then we see these over here who are scanning a ton. And, you know, there's a phenomenon in the United States um, called ghost imaging. And what it basically is, is, you know, someone will, will do a, a scan, um, but they won't document it uh, and they won't try to get paid for it. They use the scan because they're curious and they want to see, but they haven't gotten themselves to a level of comfort where they're willing to actually render the final diagnosis based on that scan, document the diagnosis, and then ask for reimbursement. And that's what a big part of our software is doing is helping manage the proficiency. And then when people are at the right proficiency, having them, you know, and they have the confidence, then they can document and then push it into their Epic system or, uh, and then ask for reimbursement. And so the more, of people we train, the more we get onto a certain platform, the more revenue the hospital is making because it's institutionalizing the program. Uh, many doctors have just bought Butterfly and they've used it. And the hospital, they bring it in the hospital and goes, hey, what is that? That's not in our workflow. That's not in our, our, our procedure and standards. And then when enough of them have them, we go to the hospital and we work with them on our software to institutionalize it. And And that's the whole process of evolution. I mean, ultimately, we do have to use AI to, and, and other tools to make the scans easier to acquire. Um, and that is what's going to significantly grow this market. But if I, I let, let, if we use the Tesla analogy though, right? So, you know, you guys have now electrified the car, right? Which now doesn't make it a car. It makes it way more flexible and adaptable and it can do things that the car could never do. I mean, I'm assuming that we're moving from, yeah, I'm driving it myself now to you're making this at some point, the software is going to get more automated driving um, capable where I'm assuming the training can get less over time or the interpretation of the images gets easier over time because the software adds capabilities to be able to see things and, and identify things uh, that someone may want to sort of focus on. Yeah. I, I you know, that, I think that's dead on. And I think I, I we spoke earlier, I was uh, listening to a podcast um, and it was Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford. And he was saying he was very transparent and self-effacing for the industry to say, 
you know, he was telling the listeners, you know, do you know how many different companies we have to deal with that have their own software, whether it's for the chairs, whether it's for the transmission, whether it's for sensors in the engine, carburetor, or that these are all different companies with different pieces of software. And it's just such a challenge for them because they don't have access to the code and they can't get the code to speak to each other. And they just have to be able to find ways to pull data in and out of the software. And he, and he actually then turned around and said, do you know how powerful it is? that Tesla has its own software, that has a single software platform. And that single software platform drives all those sensors and all those components and can, and can be able to work in concert. And then it's connected into a cloud environment where that data is then streamed into the cloud. And so it's acquired and AI is then used to be able to interpret that data and create intelligence and then push that data back into the vehicle. And the next and the ability to get to self-driving can't even be contemplated without this single software type ecosystem. And he just said, you know how hard it is. And he was making the case to why they needed to separate their business out and their EV business to be different. And, and you know, Elon Musk, Jim Farley was making the point and Elon Musk would tell you that, you know, Tesla is a software company. Everyone thinks it's an auto company, but without the cloud and without the ability to have that processing, without the ability to, to, to have all the componentry and the hardware work together, um, you know, then you can't deliver those newer applications. It's exactly how Butterfly is architected. We have a device, but that, and that device is architected through a semiconductor chip that is completely electronic, completely digital. We can tune dynamically the, the frequencies. We can, we can tune them uh, after we've validated them and, and gone through the right protocols. But we now, that device, just like a phone, it's not just a, a device that can do what it does when you take it out of the package. It gets better and better and better. And we push our software updates and we learn and we, we create this ecosystem to make the device easier and easier to use to make it smarter and allow for a bunch of different applications. So that's, that's, it's a perfect analogy uh, when I heard it. And I think it's exactly what, what we're aspiring to do. Yeah, I mean, and if you think about it, I can imagine Musk saying, I'm not letting any other crappy software into my into my system right. that I can't manage, right? right? So, um, so, so, you know, we, we, one of the things just that you, now that, that kind of triggered something, you know, we just launched something called um, the Butterfly Garden. Uh, and what the Butterfly Garden is, is, in, is basically an AI marketplace where we publish a public SDK. And so if you're an AI software developer, um, you have a big task ahead, right? Because you're going to develop your software and come up with all this intelligence. For you to now have to develop a probe and to redevelop everything that we've had is just unnecessary. So we are, we're allowing developers now to take our SDK uh, and then develop a new app that they would put into the app store. It would be their software. And when it's in the app store, they, they would then, you know, uh, the user would open up their app, plug in a butter, butterfly, and then the butterfly image that we extract goes into their application. And their, their application then runs all of their scripts and whatnot that, that they wish to provide that additional value. So butterfly is not just creating algorithms that we create but we are making our platform available for developers to be able to bring more and more solutions. So for our customers, they'll have all, all of Butterfly's capabilities, uh, and then they'll have capabilities if they own a Butterfly probe of all these you know incredible AI, AI companies too. Interesting. What's been the impact of the democratization of this? I mean, what you know, opening up access to imaging, do you have any let's say data or anecdotes to illustrate how the IQ ultrasound has made a, a difference in places where doctors and patients previously had no access to ultrasound. Yeah, it's really the essence of point of care. And every month uh, we share with our employees a story of, you know, a, a child who uh, received a diagnosis from point of care ultrasound or someone who's coming to the emergency room and had a, a quick diagnosis or, especially the work that we're doing uh, in, in Kenya and in other developing countries where, you know, the, the accessibility of ultrasound is now allowing for, you know, there's, I think, you know, 200,000 women a year die in childbirth. I think 28 out of a thousand, uh, out of a thousand children die in, in childbirth um, uh, in Kenya alone and, or in Africa alone. And we're, and through the Gates Foundation, we're really tackling the ability 
of, you know, there's one side where you're simply bringing ultrasound to a market that doesn't have it. Right. And so in that in environment, all the benefits are self-evident. But in developed countries where ultrasound exists in facility, the benefits are all now being derived based upon having the immediacy of diagnosis. You know, uh, like if, if someone, you know, a lot of what a general practitioner has to do is you have abdominal pain. Well, where what's the, what's the root cause of that? Isn't it appendicitis? Is it a bowel obstruction? Is it a triple A? And you know, and and so giving more tools. And every day we're hearing examples of those who have ultrasound uh, at their fingertips of uh, finding you know those those uh, those uh, morbidities much sooner. What's the biggest barrier to expanding handheld ultrasound, sort of even more widely than it has been? Well, so you know, first of all, it, there are. Uh, there are technology barriers, uh, and then there are healthcare structural barriers. Uh, and those, you know, the healthcare structural barriers are, uh, you know, there there is a current workflow to bring uh, imaging into radiology, right? And there's a reimbursement for the imaging in radiology, and then there's an ownership of imaging within radiology. And so you have to kind of change the thought process of the hospital and of radiology and of the workflow to realize that, first of all, hospitals have a fixed throughput of imaging, right? So there's only so many machines they have and so many ultrasonographers and so many images they can take. And so, A, by adding in point-of-care ultrasound, it increases the bandwidth. And it, from a radiology perspective, it allows radiology to focus on the higher end, the more complex scans uh, than just doing the routine everyday scans that are not as necessary. And so there's, so you have to work through healthcare. You have to change behaviors because right now for a general practitioner, it's just so easy to order a chest x-ray you know, and they don't, there's, they don't have the liability. They don't have to do the work, et cetera. But you know, the difference between a, a $50 x-ray uh, that's done with a handheld or a $500 x-ray that's sent in, you know, it's, are we interested in healthcare economics? Are we interested in ease and, and reimbursement? So having to change the, the pathways and get into economic models, you know, you have to show people a whole, a whole new way that it's not 50 to, to 500. It's you're gonna be at capacity through radiology no matter what you can increase your capacity by having more scans done at the point of care. And then of course, that if by catching something earlier, instead of having someone in the emergency room waiting three hours for a chest X-ray to be sent, whatever, come back, you can just take the image and have them go home. It's, you have to build all the new models and show them how this new workflow can benefit. Uh, on the technology side, uh, it's, it's simply, you know, it's, I would have to say the biggest barrier is what you started off the conversation with, it's education. It's how do you get someone to be comfortable and have the proficiency to be able to to rely on their diagnosis earlier in and and you know a fascinating fact is sixty um, percent of medical schools in the United States today have ultrasound and point of care ultrasound in their curriculum. So every year, uh, kids that are now graduating and going into the residency uh, have learned how to do point of care ultrasound. Today, 42% of all residencies in the United States have point-of-care ultrasound uh, uh, in their curriculum. So we know that in five years, uh, you know, most medical students that are graduating are all going to have this new ultrasound stethoscope mindset. And they're going to have the and they're, they're going to, they've broken through the fear of someone for the first time doing the imaging. And then someone who's very busy and just doesn't want to learn something new. So this is happening. And the next generation of clinicians coming through the education system will have this capability. And I think in, in a decade or two, uh, the ultrasound will be the stethoscope of the future. I mean, it's interesting, right? That you say 42%, and in my mind, I'm like, it should be 100%, right? It's like, how many hours of genomics does anyone, you know, learn about? And I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, the last time I checked, it was like maybe a couple of days, right? And it's so fundamental to practicing medicine these days i i you if i had my way i'd love to figure out how to whiteboard and build the the system from the ground up again because the way that it's designed is i feel just it's an impediment to 
We've got so many of these new tools like you guys are working on that can really, really move the needle for patients and significantly bring down cost because of the capabilities Mm -hmm. that it brings to the table. And it kills me when the system is just so sclerotic on how Mm -hmm. it adopts these things. It's, it's, It's not designed for change. Uh, right. which is the part that kills right. me. So, well, the other part is, is that, you know, a lot of the companies who have, you know, the, uh, all of the large companies that, that are out there have MRI imaging in the hospital. These are, you know, million and a half, $2 million magnets or CT machines, half a million to a million dollar machine. And then all of these different, you know, probes and all these different, you know, 150,000, $200,000 cardiac uh, echo machines, there, there's not as much incentive for these large companies. They'll have handheld ultrasound because people will ask for it, but the incentive is really to keep selling more expensive machines, um, not bringing care out of the hospital into these low, low cost settings. And so, you know, we're fighting up against you know existing workflows, and we're fighting up against big behemoths that are not really that incented to to disrupt their own business. And it does take time. Uh, but, you know, people, uh, point of care ultrasound has a lot of momentum and it's here to stay. And, and the training and the ability to, you know, I think it, it all starts at the bottoms up. And while we're fighting all the current barriers uh, over time, as all these new kids get into practice, uh, our, our, things will change for the better. I, I have a lot of faith and you know, we we have sold more handheld ultrasound than any other company in the world. And there's a reason for that, because we've done things that, that are, are new and unique and cost effective. And we're going to continue to disrupt. And I think it's going to meet in the middle. While we're trying to build the market, the market's also getting developed organically. And, you know, I wouldn't be too dour. I'm actually pretty excited about, about the future. And, and, you know, healthcare, there's also a lot of technologies that can hurt people. And you right. want to evolve in a way where data is supports the technology and you, you want it to evolve. And I, I think I think the genie's out of the bottle and it's not going back in. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of faith in technology and software, especially with everything that I see coming um, that... You know, either the system's going to change or, uh, you know, there's going to be disruptive change because of business models that allow this technology to get to people that need it. So, um, Joe, I I wish you guys incredible success. Um, You know, uh, I'd love to see one of Jonathan's companies again be successful as as you know, many of them have had in the past, but it's been great having you on the show. And I look forward to seeing how, you know, things evolve over time. Well, I look forward to coming back and giving you an update. And I very much appreciate your time, Harry. So thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. You can find a full transcript of this episode, as well as the full archive of episodes of The Harry Glorikian Show and Moneyball Medicine at our website. Go to glorikian.com and click on the tab Podcasts. I'd also like to thank our listeners for boosting The Harry Glorikian Show into the top 3% of global podcasts. If you want to be sure to get every new episode of the show automatically, be sure to open Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and hit follow or subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we always love to hear from listeners on Twitter, where you can find me at hglorikian. Thanks for listening, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next interview.